Turn in your Bible tonight to John 21. I have, have felt impressed to preach on this subject tonight. Next Sunday morning in the Sunday school, we'll be studying this chapter, John 21. And I have had it on my heart. I had intended tonight to speak on another subject, but I just feel impressed to speak on this. John 21. And the specific passage we want to read are, I want to begin with verse 1. I think you recognize this as coming after the resurrection. Jesus has overcome death. And Peter, though he ran to the tomb, you remember John specifically says that he got there first and went into the tomb, and then John came, and even though Peter was an older man, uh, he had so much enthusiasm, he just went right in the tomb, impetuous Peter. He said, I got to see this. But he didn't perceive. I'm not sure why he didn't. You recall that he was in a backslidden condition. He had denied the Lord. Though he went out and wept bitterly, he still, when he looked at that empty grave, apparently he didn't perceive. The Scripture specifically says that John looked and believed. Now, the first person to recognize Jesus as the Lord was Simon Peter. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the first confession of Christ being the Son of God found in the New Testament. But then after the resurrection, because of sin in Peter's life, I assume that's it. I may be wrong, but that's what it seems to me. When they got to that grave and Peter went in, and he went in, though John got there first because he was younger, he was able to run faster, Peter got there and he ran in, went into the tomb, but he didn't, didn't perceive what that meant. And when John saw the grave clothes lying where they were and the head napkin bound right where it was, he said, the scripture says, he saw it and believed. What did he see? He saw that those grave clothes were not unraveled, it wasn't somebody trying to pull them off in a hurry and get out. You know how you do when you get up and you're late for work and you throw your night clothes off and you jump into your clothes and you run out. And somebody comes and looks and says, boy, looks like, uh, looks like somebody fled from a great warrior here. All the clothes are placed everywhere. Well, no, that wasn't the case. The grave clothes had never been disturbed. Jesus just came right out of them. And when John saw that, the Bible says he believed. Now we come to John 21. Simon Peter is a Christian. He knows the Lord. But he does a strange thing in this chapter. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that the Spirit of God will speak to our hearts now. <clears throat> May everything said and done be overshadowed by the love of the Holy Spirit. 
We pray that thy spirit will just speak to our hearts. If there's anyone here who is not saved, may thy spirit deal with their heart and draw them to Christ. And those who are saved, help them, each one, to go on with God. In Jesus' name, amen. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this manner, that's the Sea of Galilee. And after this manner, uh, showed he himself. There were together Simon, Peter, and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go fishing. Isn't that funny? He's gone fishing. But look here. They say unto him, We also go with thee. Peter was a powerful leader. He went fishing. So all the others went with him. You never can underestimate the effectiveness, the power of leadership. You find a young man that has leadership ability, and he says, I'm going to a dance. Others will go with him. Or I'm going to church. Others will go with him. Or I'm going out here and rob a bank. Others will go with him. Or I'm going to go win somebody to Christ. Others will go with him. And it all depends on the spiritual condition of that leader. You find a leader in the church, and he grumbles and complains, others will do it with him. If that leader in the church says, boy, I love what's going on. Isn't, isn't the Lord good to us? Aren't you glad people are getting saved? And Don't you love the music? And don't you love the way the, uh, the Lord's blessing? And uh, Don't you love the pastor? Other people say, yeah, I like that, see. So much on leadership. Simon Peter said, I go fishing. They said, we're going with you. They went forth and entered into a boat immediately. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, children, have you any meat? They answered, no. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and ye shall find. They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, Now that disciple whom Jesus loved, who is that? John. He said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fishers. I wonder why, the, why Peter didn't recognize him. Now Peter was saved. You know, it's possible that a person who is saved, who gets into a backslidden condition, allowing all kinds of things to come into his life, he loses his spiritual perception. He's not able to discern spiritual truths. That doesn't mean he's not saved anymore, but he loses his spiritual discernment. I've talked to people and said, do you know about things that are right or wrong? And I've had Christians tell me, well, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. I had a couple tell me that they were going to live together as man and wife, just an experiment to see if they loved each other so that they could get married later. And they said they were Christians. And I showed them from the Word of God that this was not God's will. And they said, well, we don't see anything wrong with this. Well, what was wrong? They had lost their spiritual perception. It's a sinisterly serious thing to get your eyes off of Jesus.
Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and he did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fish. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fish, a hundred and fifty and three. And incidentally, a hundred and fifty-three, that's an important number. There are a hundred and fifty-three kinds of fish. And he brought those, that hundred and fifty-three there. And although there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus said unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? There was a little bit of fear in their hearts. And Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, Lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest where thou wouldst. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whether thou wouldst not. This spoke he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter. We won't have time to look at all of it. But I'd like to focus in tonight on verses 15 to 17. Jesus said to Simon Peter three times, Do you love me more than these? Three times Simon Peter had denied the Lord. No, I don't know the man. No, I've never heard of him. Don't even know who you're talking about. What are you talking about? And then he began to swear and curse. And with profane lips, all of those old sins came out of his background, out of the skeletons of his closet, and came out into public view because Simon Peter was in the wrong place with the wrong crowd, and he had not identified himself. He was in a backslidden condition. He was saved, yes, but he was out of fellowship with God. And it was easy for all those old sins to come back. James Stalker has said in his book, The Trial and Death of Jesus Christ, the man who has ever been a profane man, the man who has ever been a swearer, or who has ever sown to the sins of the flesh, or who has ever involved himself in sexual impurity or adultery, that man, all the rest of the years of his life, will have to sit on the grave where he buries that sin, lest it come back into his life to haunt him. And Simon Peter forgot to sit on the grave of that sin that day. And he was in the wrong place, and he did not identify himself as God's child, as the son, as the servant of Jesus. 
And when he had denied the Lord, twice. And then they came again the third time. He became addled and nervous. And he was self-defensive. And he didn't know what to do. After all, here he was warming himself with the devil's fire. And when they said, you're one of the disciples of this prophet of Galilee, he said, blankety blank, 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 no, I don't even know him. And all of those old things from the garbage of his soul that he thought buried long before came out. And so when the Lord met with Peter after the resurrection, he had this supper, come and dine. All the disciples ate, and then he called Peter. I'm not sure whether he did this in front of the others. But he said to Simon Peter, the scripture isn't clear. It says, so when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, it may have been right in front of everybody. Because you see, the Christian sins go before him, and others can see them. Now, fellow, I want you to watch me, Joe. Watch me with your eyes and your ears and your heart. Okay, that's a good haircut you got. It looks good. You get a little bit better next time. All right, everybody watch me. Okay? Yeah, that's good, because I got something exciting to say to you. Amen. Now, Jesus said to Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? I don't know whether Jesus was saying, do you love me more than these other disciples, or do you love me more than this fishing? Do you love me more than all the old things that you've gotten involved in? Do you love me more than your profanity? Do you love me more than your old sins? Do you love me more than these? Now, the word that Jesus used was, the word agape, there are three words used in the English language, in the Greek language that are translated in the English love. One is eros, which means physical infatuation. The other is phileo, which means a fellowship kind of love. The other is agapao, agape, which means God's kind of love. And Jesus said, Simon Peter, do you have agape for me? Do you have God's kind of love? And Peter answered, and if you'll check the original Greek, you'll find he answered, Lord, I have phileo for you. I have a fellowship kind of love for you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. He said to him the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? Do you have agape for me more than these? And Simon Peter said, Lord, you know that I like you. I have fellowship kind of like for you, love for you. Now, the difference can best be seen in interpreting the question like this. Jesus said, Simon, do you love me? And Simon said, Lord, you know I like you. And Jesus said the second time, Simon, do you love me? And Simon said, Lord, you know I like you. And the third time, Jesus said, Simon, do you like me? He used Simon's word. And that broke Simon's heart. It broke his heart, broke him all up. And the scripture said he was grieved in his heart because the Lord said to him the third time, do you like me? Do you have fellowship kind of love for me? And Simon said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I like you. And again, he used that word. It were as if he were saying, Lord, that's all I'm capable of. And I'm so sorry. I'm grieved about it. Lord, help me. It's like the day Peter walked on the waters and he looked down and saw what he was doing and he became a little bit proud and, 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 and almost as if he were saying, I'm doing what nobody else has ever done. And then he began to sink and he reached out and, Lord, save me. And dear Lord Jesus just reached out his arms and said, no, it's all right, Peter. It's all right. That's the way the Lord deals with us. That's the way the Lord deals with sinning Christians. When we come to him, 
when we're grieved in our heart over our sins and we'll start back to Him, our Lord is there. He's there with open arms. He's there to receive us. He's there because He loves us. We are His and He is ours forever and forever. Now I want to put those three questions to us tonight. A little bit different and yet with the same background and the same meaning. If our Lord should come in 1978, in March, and should come to Glendale Baptist Church on Sunday night and would go up and down the aisles and across the pews and in the choir and here in the pulpit, and he would say to us, Christian, do you love me more than these? I think the first thing he would ask is, do you love me more than you love your family or your friends? Do you love me more than you love your family or your friends? P.T. Stucco divides people into three groups. He says the first group of people are the people who wonder what's happened. Ahimahaz is an example of this. In the Old Testament, Cushai and Ahimahaz were with the forces of David who were fighting a war for David. It was the war for, end, for survival. Absalom had led a revolt against David, his father. And out in the battlefield, David had sent a message. When, you, when we know which way the battle is going, send me word. And so it came to pass that Absalom, Absalom was going down and his hair caught in a great big tree and he was there and, the, and Joab came along and stabbed him through. And, jo and Absalom was dead. Now, Hemahaz didn't know what had happened. But he saw a great sight, and he heard some noise, and he heard the battle cry, and he heard the excitement. He didn't know quite what had happened, but he came to Joab and said, Can I run? Can I run? Can I run? And Joab said, what are you going to tell him? Oh, let me run, let me run, let me run. Have you ever seen anybody do that? And so Ahimahaz goes off and he takes off. Boy, he runs with all of his might and he's like a track match and he runs faster than any of you ever run, ran in a track match. And David is outside the, the gate and he's looking and he says, look, here he comes. He's going to tell me news. And Ahimahaz comes. And David says, what happened to him? As, well, I'm not sure. I saw a great noise and I heard a great noise and I heard a lot of excitement. I'm really not sure. And David said, uh, stand still, stand beside me there. Now sometimes that's the way we do. We don't know what's going on. We don't have any idea. We get all excited. We don't really know what's going on. Well, we, we have a zeal, but there's no knowledge. And God has to say, stand aside. Because the message has to be valid. Cushy came, incidentally, not long after that, and he told the truth. And David's heart was hurt because Absalom, my son, was dead. There are people who wonder what's happened. I think there are a lot of Christians, a lot of Glendale people, just stand around and wonder what's happened. Well, I don't understand this, and I can't understand that. I just don't understand what's happening here. And uh, just don't understand why we do what we do and why we don't do what we don't do and so on. Just don't understand it. And then there are people who make things happen. Well, let me go on. Second group, there are people who wonder and watch things happen. Uh, they don't uh, quite understand. And they just uh, stand around and watch things happen. An example of this is the Edomites. In the book of Obadiah, Obadiah, under the impression of the Holy Spirit, indicts the Edomites 
Because when Babylon came into the land of Jerusalem or Judea and were marching around the city of Jerusalem, the Edomites sat over on the other side and said, ha, 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 isn't that funny? Look at there, I just knew that would happen. Now, the Edomites were cousins of the Israelites. And they didn't lift one little finger to help the Jews, not one. And Babylon came in and crushed them and ground them under his thumb and led them into captivity. And even though Babylon was a hand, uh, uh, you might say an arm of judgment by the Lord on Israel because of their sins and because they did not keep the Sabbath and they went into 70 years of captivity, God said, Obadiah, you rail against the Edomites because in the day of judgment on Israel, they stood on the other side and watched what was happening and didn't lift their little finger to help. get in the battle. They just stand there and watch. They don't lift a little tiny finger to do anything for God. They just watch, and they're often the first to criticize or to gossip. And then there's a third group, and these are the people who make things happen. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things or become new. We need some people who make things happen, who are right in the middle of the fray, right in the middle of the battle, and they're the ones that are carrying the ball or running interference or trying to make a tackle or trying to make a pass or somebody trying to catch that pass and run on, on into the end zone. And then there are folks that sit over in the bleachers and they say, well, that old guy, if, he, if I was down there, boy, I could do better than he'd do. I, you know, I get disgusted going to these ball games sometimes and listening to them. Sometimes uh, uh, I hear a rerun by people. I just stand around and listen. I don't say much. Uh, but I hear every, every once in a while, somebody says, boy, if I'd just been in there, boy, they could do a better job than that. That old punk, I don't know why he did like that. The only problem is that punk that was talking like that wasn't in the battle. He'd stand on the sidelines just watching it. I like to see people who make things happen. I, uh, I'll tell you, I like the football guys that are in our church, and they love the Lord. And if you'll notice, they're faithful. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, one of our football men that's really one of the leaders over there, I never hear him critical, never hear him criticizing. You see, the people that are making things happen don't do that. It's the folks that are standing on the sidelines not doing much, either through envy or jealousy or through backslidden condition. They stand over here and wonder what's happening, or they watch what's happening, but they're not down in the battle doing anything. Jesus said, do you love me more than that? Do you love me more than you love your family or your friends? Do you know there are people who give all kinds of flimsy excuses to the Lord as to why they can't serve Him? I like what Lonnie Mattingly has said a number of times. Lonnie has, I think, four children. Is that my right or five? Four. Four children. And Lonnie, 
uh, before he was in the full-time work. You remember when he was here. And Lonnie would be here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. He was always out for visitation. Somebody said one day, Lonnie, uh, doesn't your wife care about this? Uh, doesn't she uh, think you ought to be home more? And uh, Lonnie said, uh, and what about your children? Don't you think you ought to be home with your children? And Lonnie said, I've put Jesus first. And I've asked Jesus to take care of my children. And when I'm home, I'm going to give them all the love I can. But the Lord is first in my life. And God is using Lonnie in Louisville to build a great work for God. Hundreds of people are getting saved, and the Lord is blessing. He took a little church from about 50 that were ready to give up and die, and they've had as many as 1,000 in Sunday school and more than that. You see, it's devotion and dedication and consecration and commitment that says, Jesus, you're number one in my life. I'm not going to put my wife or my husband or my children or anything above thee. Now listen, in order to do that, when you are home, you need to give your children a lot of love. You need to give your wife and your husband a lot of love. Or else it's all a fake. And they're the first ones to notice it. If you're a put on at church and you put on this and you put on that and you pretend this and you pretend that and then at home you grumble and growl and you don't pay any attention to them and you don't love them, you don't hug your kids and you don't give them love, then, then it's all a fake and they're going to notice it. And, and, the, and the problem, most of the times when people say, I gotta, I'm neglecting my family or my wife or husband or something like that, it's because that inside of you there's turmoil. Somehow you're not giving your best at home when you are home. And Jesus says, do you love me more than you love these? Do you? A little Jewish girl, teenager, went to a tent revival. Her father had said, don't ever pay any attention to the Christians. Don't ever go around them. But somehow a friend had persuaded her to come to this meeting. In the meeting that night, she heard about Jesus and she heard the songs and she heard somebody get up and play skillfully uh, with an instrument. And uh, all of this magnified Jesus. And then the preacher talked about Jesus, who was the Messiah. And her heart was pricked. And when the invitation was given, that beautiful Jewish girl who was talented and gifted walked down the aisle and surrendered her heart to Jesus. She went home. I guess for a moment she had forgotten what her father said, and she went in and said, to Father, tonight I gave my heart to Jesus. The father said, daughter, don't you know that we have nothing to do with Jesus around here? We're Jews. We don't believe in Jesus. And the daughter said, but you don't understand. Jesus is real. He's come into my heart. He's real to me. Daughter, we don't have anything to do with this Jesus. He was just a prophet. He's nothing. Now I'm going to give you till in the morning. And by tomorrow morning, you'll have to decide whether it's Jesus or your mother and daddy. And if you decide to stay with this Jesus, you can pack your clothes and leave. A Jewish girl went up and the light burned long into the night in her room as she knelt before God, pouring her heart out in grief. She loved her mother and daddy, but she loved Jesus first. And let me say this, whenever you give your life to Jesus, he has to be number one. He has to be first. The Lord will not play second fiddle to a husband or a wife or anybody else or a child or anything. And the next morning she came down 
She was a gifted musician, and she went to the piano and began to play a song she'd heard the night before. And she read the words, Jesus, I my cross have taken, all to leave and follow thee, destitute, despised, forsaken, thou art all in all to me. Her father came in. There was a tear in his eye. He knew what it meant. He knew that that was the girl's answer. He went over, hesitated a moment, and then he knelt by the piano bench and he said, Daughter, if this Jesus means that much to you, tell me how I can have him too. You see, when you really take a stand for the Lord, God will take care of things. Now suppose those Jewish father and mother had thrown her out of the house, which has happened. The girl still had to put Christ first. Jesus said, do you love me more than these? Do you? That's what he was saying to Simon Peter. Lovest thou me more than these? Secondly, I think the Lord is saying, Simon, Joel, Mary, Richard, do you love me more than the flesh and its whims? Do you love me more than the flesh and its whims? We live in a day that is obsessed with the flesh. You can hardly turn a television program on that doesn't appeal to the flesh in some way or another. Even the advertisements either appeal to the lust or the pride of life. And Jesus is saying, do you love me more than this? Teenager, teen, do you love me more than the flesh and its whims? Do you? Church, do you love me more than you love yourself and your selfishness and your selfish desires? Do you love me more than you love your flesh and all of its whims? You know, it's big business to build a great church for the Lord. It's big business. It's big business to build a great people for the Lord. I think it takes love and leadership and loyalty. Love, leadership, and loyalty in order to build a great work for God. I've prayed that God would help us build a great work here. There have been days of greatness in this church. Days of victory, days of power, days when we put little, little personal feelings aside, little personal desires aside for that which was best for the kingdom of God and His work. And the Lord goes forward, the work goes forward. And then there are other days when we hold grudges. And grudges always block the way of power. There are other days when we seem to have hurt feelings when it's easy to hurt people's feelings. You know, I don't recall a time ever in my ministry when I met people who were as easy to get their feelings hurt as right along in this period of time. You say, boom! Somebody gets their head, well, not to say that. Boom, 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 boom. That offended me, that hurt me. You say, I love you! Oh, you're always going around talking about I love you. Love you, love you, love you. Don't believe it, don't act like it. Uh, let's go this way. No, I don't want to go that way. Well, let's go that way. No, I think I'll just sit here. Well, let's just do nothing. No, that's offensive. We're not going to do anything. Ladies and gentlemen, in order for a work to go forward, there has to be love, because love co covers a multitude of sins. 
Love hides a multitude of sins. And love is long-suffering and patient and kind and gentle. And love seeks not its own way, but love blends itself into that which is for the greater good of everybody. And Jesus said, if you don't have love, you don't have anything. Love. Without love, a church is sick. We need to love each other. We need to love people that we don't agree with and love people we do agree with. And we need to just circle each other with love. <laughs> I don't mean ooey-gooey kind of stuff, but I mean love. That's right, isn't it? Just real love, genuine love that comes from the heart. Now, in order to build a great work for the Lord, there has to be leadership. The church of the New Testament had pastor and deacons. There were times in the Lord's church in the New Testament when people withstood the leadership. I remember John writing to a church and he said, I really wanted to come there and I wanted to do a great work, but there was a man in your church who loved to have the preeminence and I couldn't do anything there. I remember that Jesus went to Canaan, to Nain, to, to, to Nazareth rather. And Nazareth was his hometown. And uh, the Lord wanted to do great things there, but he couldn't do anything because of their unbelief. They wouldn't listen. You know, in the fellowship of the church, you have to have a pastor. And, and the pastor has to be in touch with Jesus, so you have to pray for him. And, and then you need to follow the pastor, you know, or else get a different one. Because if you're constantly disagreeing and criticizing and getting off in a little corner and saying, yeah, I don't like what's going on. I don't like this and I don't like that. It injures the power of the Spirit of God. Now, I've prayed that God would give us a great work for His glory. That God would help this church reach and capture the attention of the entire city of Bowling Green. And in the days when we've all worked together and we've had our mind on one goal, and we've gone forward, and uh, we've allowed this criticism to die and be buried, and we've all joined hands in love and gone out soul winning and marching to victory. God has blessed, and souls have walked down the aisle. And then there have been other days when we stand around and criticize, and we go through dry seasons when the Lord's Spirit doesn't have opportunity to work and doesn't have the authority and doesn't have liberty, and we, and, and, and we wonder, well, what's the trouble? That happened to Joshua. In the days when they conquered Jericho, everything was going great. But right in the middle of that conquering of Jericho, somebody that was in on the conquering sinned. And they stole. And when they went up to a little Ai, they couldn't do anything. And the people all got scared. And I think Joshua stood over here and said, come on, Ai is just a little town. Come on, let's go in here. Let's go in and win them in the name of the Lord. And they tried to come, and they were scared out of their wits. And Thursday night, they all stayed home because they were scared to go visiting. <laughs> and when the battle began to go, well, you know, they, didn't, they just couldn't get involved in Ai. And the people of Ai chased them for their life. And the great nation of Israel failed 
in the face of little Ai. And Joshua got down on his knees and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he broke his heart and God said, Joshua, what you doing down on your knees? Get up. There's sin in the camp. There cannot be any spiritual power as long as there's the sin, whatever it is, the sin of cynicism, the sin of criticism, the sin of lack of love, the sin of prayerlessness, the sin of open fleshly sin, the sin of worldliness. And it overtakes you just in a little twinkling of an eye. I know some Christians that really don't mean to get caught up in things and and then the, the races start over at Beach Bend. And boy, it's hard to get out and to not go and get involved in that. And when you get involved, your spiritual power begins to wane and die. I know some Christians that really love the Lord and then they get, uh, all of a sudden, they get all caught up and they think, boy, I'll just go spend the night somewhere. And they get in that, in that kind of thing and they, there's no jurisdiction over them, nobody responsible, and so they just go out and do anything they want to all night long. That's sin. Sin. And when there is sin in the camp, there will be no spiritual power in your life. And when we're, because we're in it together, there'll be no spiritual power in the lives of God's people. And Jesus said, do you love me more than these? Do you? Do you really? Do you love me more than you love yourself? Do you love me more than you love your flesh and its whims. But I want my way. <laughs> Jesus said, do you love me more than you love your flesh and your old selfish way, do you? Do you? I don't know whether God blesses churches that have pussyfooting preachers but I'm not that kind and I can't ever be and I'm not going to be. Just can't do it. This man in Texas that used to be an assistant pastor and he uh, has a, a record out, a song called Tiptoe Through the Tithers. <laughs> Don't hurt anybody's feelings. Just be real careful. I'm not going to do that. Never. I can't. I don't care if the man that gives the most to this church doesn't stand right for God, I'm not going to agree with him. I'm going to stand for the things that I believe this book teaches, and if you don't like it, the best thing to do is to say to you, Richard, why don't you go somewhere else? That's right. Someone has to be in the director. Someone has to be the leader. I don't mean dictator, but somebody has to be the leader. And I believe God called the pastor to be the leader. And brethren and sisters, let's get on board and get going for God. You know, it's a sin to go across town to some place, some station or some filling station or somewhere and hear people grumble and grumble and grumble and crumble and just all upset. And they uh, grumble about this. They grumble on Monday, grumble on Tuesday, grumble on Wednesday too. Nothing seems to be right or anything. And they're all upset. And I want to tell you, that is not God's plan. That has never been God's plan, and it is not God's plan today, and it never will be God's plan. Jesus wants us to serve Him 
and to let Christ be first in our lives. Always. That's the will of God. Do you love me more than you love the flesh and its whims? Do you? That's the question. Thirdly, the Scripture says, do you love me more than you love your feelings? Do you love me more than you love your feelings? How is it? Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Do you love me more than you love your feelings? There are a lot of Christians who love their own feelings more than they love anything else. There are people who say, well, you know, if I can just feel good, everything will be all right. If I can just feel good. Jesus did not tell us that we were going to feel good. He told us to put our faith and trust in the Son of God. And it's the faith in the Son of God that saves us and cleanses us from all sin. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Faith. And when we put our trust and confidence and faith in Jesus, Jesus cleanses us and forgives us and he saves us. We're not saved by our feelings. We're not saved by whether we feel good or don't feel good. We're saved by grace through faith. And Simon, Jesus said, Simon, do you love me more than you love your feelings? I've met people who were wondering constantly, am I really saved? Am I really God's child? You know, when you trust the Lord, you put your, your trust in Him and He cleanses and forgives your sin, then you're saved. You're God's child. Somebody asked Martin Luther, do you feel you're saved? Luther said, uh, no. Feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the Word of God. Not else is worth believing. Martin Luther was saying, I'm not saved by the way I feel on any one day. I'm saved by putting my trust and confidence and faith in Jesus. Do you love me more than your feelings? Simon, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Jim Elliot went as a missionary to the AUKUS Indians. Before he went, he wrote these words, Saturate me with the oil of thy spirit, that I may be a flame. But a flame is often short-lived. Make me thy fuel, O flame of God. O God, light these idle sticks of my life, that I may burn for thee. Consume my life, O God, for it is thine. And then he said to his mother shortly before, in a letter shortly before he died at the hands of the AUKUS Indians, Mother, I do not mean to sound pedantic, but we who have enlisted in the king's army have enlisted in, with one who talked about dying, dying to self. And he said, Mother, 
we have enlisted with one who talked about dying, and I've asked God to give me the spirit of the great short-lived one. And then he said, Mother, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. When we put our trust and confidence in Jesus. And then we hear the voice of the Lord saying, Christian, lovest thou me more than these? Do you really love me? We respond from our heart. Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Go get busy serving the Lord. Go bring them in. Go do the work that God has called you to do. May we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father, we thank Thee for the goodness of God. We pray that the Spirit of the Lord will speak to every heart. May Thy will be done, not our will. Dear Lord Jesus, we pray that the Spirit of God will speak to Thy people tonight. And may Christians who love You be willing to say, Lord, I love You. And I love You more than these things. I will follow You. I will serve You. We pray that Christians who are here whose lives are out of fellowship with God be willing to turn back to the Lord in yieldedness to Thee. And Father, we pray that somebody here who is without Jesus will come to Jesus. We pray that some who need to come into this church, be part of this fellowship, would come. Have Thine own way, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. May we stand, please. <clears throat> Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. God's invitation, would you come to Jesus tonight just as you are? Without any kind of plea, Lord, I'm going to get myself better first. You just come. And he'll do the getting better. He'll get you better. He'll clean you up. He'll cleanse you. Maybe Christians here who need a new cleansing. Would you let Jesus have his way with you? And if you're not saved, you've never received Christ as your Savior, would you come to him and trust him as your personal Lord and Savior tonight? God help you to do it. While we pray, while we sing, who will step out first for the King tonight? God bless you. <clears throat>